I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it for one of these, one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So it would appear that part of that 75-day interim period between Christ's coming and the official start of the kingdom age is to judge the nations, first of all, the Gentiles. But also, there is going to be a judgment of Israel. Now, this was prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 20, if you turn there. Ezekiel 20, starting in verse 34. Again, this is also talking about when Messiah comes. But now he's talking to Israel here. And he says in Ezekiel 20, verse 34, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered. Remember now, that's part of the thing that the angels are going to do. They're going to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. I believe that's a reference to Israel. Uh, Israel being the elect people of God. Not to say that every Jew is going to be saved at this point, but they will be gathered for this judgment. And so I'm going to gather you from everywhere you were scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out. Verse 35, I will bring you into the wilderness of my peoples and there you, I will plead my case with you face to face. Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant I will purge the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. The idea is during the millennial kingdom. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Very interesting imagery. When a shepherd would be out in the fields, sometimes they would travel in the summer months far from home, looking for water and green pasture, which meant that they had to uh, the, past, the shepherd had to uh, make a, um, a makeshift sheepfold every night out of uh, tumbleweeds or rocks and things. And then he would actually lay across the opening and become the door of the sheepfold. Jesus mentioned this in John 10. All right, that was the imagery he was using. And as the shepherd then created this little temporary sheepfold where he wanted to bring the sheep in for the night so they wouldn't wander, you know, when he was sleeping, or they would have to actually step over him to get out, which would wake him up, and he would just kind of be there to, to guard them from doing that. Before he led them then into the sheepfold, he would take his rod and he would place it down in front of each sheep. As they, were, they walked up to the entrance, he would put the rod in front of them to stop them. He would take his hand and he would feel all around them to make sure that they didn't have any uh, burrs, they didn't pick up any, they weren't cut, they you know, didn't get lacerated in some way. He would, he would examine them closely to see if they were okay, and then he would let them in. He would do this with every sheep. And so that was the imagery that God was trying to communicate here. When the Messiah comes, the good shepherd, he is going to gather Israel like a shepherd gathers his sheep, and he is going to examine each one of them. Of course, he has those eyes of fire that pierce into the deepest recesses of the heart. 
He knows those that are his. He knows those Jews that had received him as Lord and Savior and those that did not. That did not. And he would ex- examine them. And those that passed the test, those who had given their hearts to him, they, he will let into the millennial kingdom. The rebels, those that transgressed, the Jews and Gentiles who worshiped the Antichrist, they're going to be the ones that are going to be judged and they're going to be removed from the earth. That's what this judgment is all about, folks. It's a judgment to purge the earth from the remaining rebels that escaped all the judgments of God that were still alive when the Lord came back. He is going to purge the earth of every last rebel before the kingdom can start. And that's going to take a little time. I think 75 days to judge all those people, it's the Lord. He can do whatever he wants. He's good at that. I mean, you know, it's not going to take him all that long, but it is going to take a little time. By the 1,335th day, or 75 days after the second coming, these judgments will apparently have been accomplished, and the millennial kingdom will officially begin. It says that those who make it to the 1,335th day of this period, they are called blessed. Because obviously, if they've made it that far, then they were judged worthy because they are believers and they were, are allowed to enter into the millennial kingdom. And that's what Jesus said, when I come, he's going to say, blessed are you of my father, enter the kingdom. See, he's talking to the remaining people that are alive that are believers. Not all believers die before the Lord comes. There's going to be a lot of people who are alive, who are believers, who have hit out, who have escaped the Antichrist, who have made it. And they're going to be allowed to enter the millennial kingdom in their physical bodies. Now, we'll have our glorified bodies. We won't marry. We won't give in marriage. We won't have children. We will be glorified. But there will be a lot of people who will enter the millennial kingdom with their physical bodies. They will marry. They will have children. Their children will have children. In fact, the earth is going to go through an incredible population explosion during this time. We'll, we'll talk about why next time. It's going to be ideal, ideal conditions. No war, no sickness. I mean, it's going to be a perfect, I mean, plenty of food for everybody. Uh, you're going to have the earth return to the way it was before the flood. So it's going to be a, a very tropical paradise climate all throughout the earth. So people can live anywhere. And you're going to have this population explosion during this time. Now, I want you to know one thing. Don't confuse the millennial kingdom with the eternal state. They are not the same thing. The eternal state is where the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, that's what we call heaven. And that is not a part of time. It's eternal. The millennial kingdom is how long? thousand years that means it's still a part of time where god made the world in six days the seventh day he let it rest or he he rested right not that he was tired but to establish a principle for us you work six days seventh day you take off well man has been laboring under the weight of sin for six thousand years practically so now the world is going to get a thousand years off okay where there's going to be paradise the lord is going to be ruling but it's not the eternal state. That won't happen until the end of the thousand-year millennial kingdom. And we're going to study about that next time, what happens before we move into the eternal state. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself right now, well, why does the Lord bother with a millennial kingdom at all? 
I mean, why doesn't Jesus just return and then lead us right into the eternal state, right into heaven? Why are we even messing around with another thousand years on the earth? That's a good question, right? That's a good question, and there are some good reasons for that. Let me give them to you. Uh, there's probably others. I've just thought of a few of them, okay? Um, the first is to restore the creation. To restore the creation. You remember how that in Genesis, paradise was lost. The creation was cursed. Well, the millennial kingdom is needed to redeem the earth from the curse according to the promise of God. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 8 once. I'm going to have you turn to several scriptures, but I'm going to turn to Romans 8 first. Because Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'll just pick it up in verse 19. Where Paul said, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, the creation, Paul says, is he's kind of personifying it like a poetic tool. But he's like he's saying like the whole creation can't wait for the church to be manifest, for us to come back to the earth and our glorified bodies and the kingdom to start. Why? Because Paul said, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole, the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And what Paul is saying is that, you know, not only did man fall in the Garden of Eden, but when Adam blew it, he not only blew it for himself and all his posterity after him, which is all of us, but the creation went, underwent a transformation from paradise to what we see today, where you see the harshness of nature, where you see animals becoming carnivorous, which are carnivorous, you know, and you see all the uh, struggles in the kingdom, uh, the uh, animal kingdom, and, and just animals eating animals and preying upon each other and people preying upon each other for power and for wealth and so on. The whole creation has been cursed, but that's all going to change during the kingdom age. In fact, turn to Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read you just, just a few of these passages. There are many we could look at. I'm just going to show you how the creation is restored during the millennial kingdom. And I'm just going to read it to you out of the New Living Translation, but you can follow me in your uh, version. Isaiah 11, starting in verse 6, says, In that day, the day that Jesus comes back and establishes the kingdom, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby, with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a child will lead them all. Could you imagine that? Watching this three-year-old leading this big 450-pound lion around by the mane. You know, and I don't know. I mean, uh, possibly both of them praising God. Because I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe the animals are going to speak at this time and, and praise the Lord. But... Um, it says, verse 7, the cow will graze near the, near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. There's, there's going to be no more carnivorous animals. All animals are going to be herbivores, including us. There's going to be no meat eaters in the kingdom. Verse 8, the baby will play safely near the 
hole of, of the cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. You can imagine that at some point during the millennial kingdom, a mother somewhere is going to say, honey, where's uh, Junior? Oh, I saw him down in the snake pit playing with the snakes. Oh, isn't that sweet? He's always playing with them snakes, you know. <laughs> Verse 9 says, Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Wow. Turn to Isaiah 35. And let's pick it up at verse 1. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon. No more deserts. No more, you know, um, Antarctica, polar regions, desolate, frozen wastelands. None of that. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display His glory, the splendor of our God. Verse 5. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the, of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. No more disease. No more handicaps. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through the once deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will only be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Why? Because there won't be any. There won't be any fools or any evil-minded people in the kingdom. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will, enter, they will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. It's hard to even imagine this, isn't it? I mean, it's going to be an incredible time. We can't even imagine what it's going to really be like. So to restore the creation, that was the first reason we need a millennial kingdom. Secondly, to fulfill God's promises to Israel. And I'm not going to spend really much time on the rest of these because I'm going to let you dig them out for yourself. But God promised Israel that there was a time coming when he would give the nation of Israel all the land that he had promised to give the nation and their Messiah would reign. You can read about this in passages like Genesis chapters 15 and 17, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 89. There's many, many others. You know, Israel never did really possess everything God promised them. They could have, but they got tired of fighting and started to just, you know, let the enemy stay. And that was the downfall of the nation. Instead of driving them out utterly and completely as God had commanded, he said, because if you don't, I'm not going to drive them out. I'll leave them there. And they'll be, you know, thorns in your side. They're going to be a stumbling block. They're going to bring you down. You've got to purge them out. Otherwise, you're going to become like them. And you'll begin to worship their gods, and you're going to, I'll turn my back on you. Well, they never did possess all the land. What was the land that God gave to the nation of Israel? It went from the Mediterranean to the east, excuse me, to the west, 
all the way to the Euphrates River to the east, up from Lebanon all the way down to Egypt. If you look at that amount of land, it's a tremendous piece of land compared to the little sliver they have today. And there are people that want them to give more of that back. So God promised Israel someday they were going to possess all the land he had given to them. That will happen during the Millennial Kingdom. Number three, God made some promises to the Son that have to be fulfilled. In Psalm 2, Isaiah 11, and also Psalm 89 and other places, God promised his Son, Jesus Christ, that he was going to reign over the nations of the earth. Ask of me, he said in Psalm 2, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and you will rule over them with a rod of iron. That has to take place. This is also in fulfillment of the promise that God gave to David in 2 Samuel 7 that, uh, that someday David would have, I should say, that David would have a descendant on the throne of Israel forever. That would be a messianic promise. So that had to be fulfilled. And I'll give you one more, and we'll look at this one in more detail next time. But we need a millennial kingdom to prove the depravity of the human heart. How many times you heard somebody say, why am I being punished for Adam's sin? If I was there, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, then go ahead and live for God right now. Don't, don't ever sin. Just obey him perfectly. No, you, you never see anybody doing that. First of all, they can't do that in their own flesh. But the millennial kingdom is going to reveal the depth of man's rebellious nature. It's going to prove that we are not just the product of our environment. As the old saying goes, or the, the thought today goes, the philosophy that if we just had a perfect environment to live in, we'd be perfect people. See, what that is blind to is that our problems are really not external, they're internal. They can be exacerbated through outward pressures and stimuli. But the problem is really our hearts. You know, during the Millennial Kingdom, these people that have come in with their physical bodies, they're still going to have their fallen nature. Now, it will be greatly in check because the devil will be bound. But here's the thing. You don't need the devil to sin. You realize that? He helps a lot. He stimulates our flesh to get us to sin. But we don't really need the devil to sin because we have a fallen nature that can do very well on its own. Although without the devil, it's not anywhere near as what we see today. So he'll be bound for a thousand years, coupled with the fact that Jesus Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron for a thousand years. He's not going to let injustice or evil or crime or anything like that prevail. If people want to do wickedly, he's going to pop them and remove them from the earth. That's going to be a great incentive to be righteous, even if you're only acting righteous. But even after a thousand years of living with Jesus Christ in the perfect environment in paradise... At the end of the thousand years, when God releases Satan from his prison for a short time, he's able to go over the face of the entire earth where he is able to tempt, not us because we have our glorified bodies. He's able to tempt all the folks that grew up during this time to see if they want to follow him. Tired of, God's, tired of God telling you what to do. you tired of Jesus telling you what to do. You follow me. He's going to gather a lot of people to go to war against the Lord. Why does God allow it to show us how depraved our human heart really is? The problem has always been inside. It's not really outside. We can't blame anybody else. We have to take responsibility for our own actions, right? And so after a thousand years of living with the Lord in a perfect environment, perfect government, when 
given the chance, many will follow Satan in one final rebellion. And again, there is no rebellion. When the last person makes their decision who they want to follow, the great white throne judgment is set up, the thousand years officially ends, and we move into the eternal state. And we'll study that more again next time. So there are, these are some of the reasons we need a millennial kingdom. And there are, again, are probably others, but these are some of the ones that uh, are obvious. Now, of course, the first order of business that has to be taken care of before the kingdom can begin is that Satan himself has to be dealt with. Now, let's just get into the text so that we say we, we got a little bit into chapter 20. <laughs> let's read verses 1 and 2, all right? Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Look, you can't have paradise on earth. You can't have this ideal government on earth if Satan's still running around loose, right? So if you're going to have a kingdom, okay, I mean, I think even before the Lord judges the nations and Israel, his first order of business when he comes back after he speaks the word and everyone ready to fight against him just vaporizes, he has an angel take hold of Satan, bind him with his chain. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said for